and welcome to NCBI Labs. Well, it's December 1st and we've made it back to level three and things are beginning to ease up a little bit at least. There's even the prospect of us leaving our own counties in a few weeks time as well, so things are looking up. But of course, with the move to level three, the regularity of our live events is going to be changing as well. As we mentioned at the start of our second lockdown, our live events at the moment are increasing or decreasing depending on what level we are at uh, nationwide. So with the move to level three, our live events are going to be moving back to every two weeks. So that will mean that our next live event will be on December 15th. That's two weeks time. And that will be our, our last live event this year. And we have big plans for that, which we'll tell you a little bit more about later on. But first of all, what have we got lined up for you today? Well, in a moment, we're going to be talking to Anya O'Rourke on our regular Meet the Teams piece. She'll be telling us a, at least I presume she'll be telling us a little bit about why Cork is absolutely the best place in the world. It's not quite what the interview is about, but I'm sure it's going to come up at some point. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking to someone whose career path changed somewhat when they were diagnosed with RP, but how they use that change of direction to contribute to the development of voice synthesis. I'll get my mouth around that voice synthesis in the Irish language. Well, that's our interview with Ronan McGurk a little bit later on in our Seeing It Your Way piece. And as well, we're going to be talking to our panel today about streaming devices, particularly the, the Amazon Fire TV stick, the new Google Chromecast and Apple TV as well. We'll be discussing what sets them apart from each other, but also particularly how they stack up when it comes to accessibility. So that's what we're going to be talking about on our show today. And of course, as usual, if you have any questions that you'd like our panel to answer, you can email us at labs at ncbi.ie or if you want to make a comment or you have a question for us, you can use the Q&A panel on the right hand side if you're connecting through Teams. First of all, let's talk to this week's guest on our Meet the Team section. On your work, you're very welcome. Thanks Jude and thanks for having me. Happy to talk about Cork as you say anytime, but just let's not mention how COVID has affected the sports in Cork at the moment. Happy to talk about anything else. I knew it had come up somewhere on you. I didn't even <laughs> have to ask a question and it came up. <laughs> Very good. Tell us a little bit about yourself Anya, a little bit about maybe your background or life before NCBI. Sure, no problem. Um, prior to working with NCBI, I've, I've worked in um, a few different organisations. I started my career in the HSE or the Southern Health Board, as it was known back then, in the Department of Nursing at um, CUH. So this was back when um, the nursing was carried out on site in the hospitals before it moved to the um, the current uh, syllabus in the university campus. Um, so I was there for a few years and then I moved to um, the orthodontic unit. So part of my role in the nursing um, department was to help set up a new um, system. So again, that was happening in the orthodontic unit. So I naturally slotted into a role there and I worked on same for a few years. Um, I fancied a change then and um, I saw a role advertised in the Bon Secours Hospital working with the occupational health team. Um, so I actually moved out of the health board and um, moved into the uh, private health industry working um, in the Bon Secours. Um, I love this role um, uh, in the occupational 
occupational health team, part of the um, process that we completed was the uh, pre-employment occupational health um, medical check. So it meant that we were part of induction and uh, pre-employment health assessment for everybody. So um, anybody joining the um, hospital, we got to meet them first. And in fact, it's where I met my now husband, Kevin. He started as a chef in the bonds. I met him on his very first day and the rest, uh, as they say, is history. Um, Kevin and I then actually after um it was about a year he was in on a um, maternity leave cover contract which was coming to an end and we got the travel bug we decided to take some time out leave jobs our parents were like oh private pensionable jobs but it was back in the celtic tiger days just before the recession hit so we did it and looking back i'm glad we did because um i don't think the opportunity would have arisen again to be honest yeah, I like I, I never saw it coming, but look, we took the opportunity. We went traveling. We just did a, a mini little trip around the world. We absolutely right. loved it. Yeah. Uh, when I came back from traveling, I started work um, in Pepsi. Then um, I was PA to the general manager, which was, again, a very interesting role. It was complete change because it wasn't healthcare, but I learned yeah. so much of the business side of things, working with the executive team. Um, I really, really loved that. And I loved the, the bridge I had to like countries all over the world. Um, I started to learn Spanish at the time to converse with um, colleagues we had in Latin America. And I had the basics down to a T, but it's something that that I've just let go and I, I'm always intending on refreshing it and it's always top of the New Year's uh, intentions. <laughs> so hopefully I might do it now this year uh, we could have our next uh, interview then Jude uh, in Espanol. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, <laughs> I go through to the, the Navilens team yes, maybe yes. that you had on there a few weeks ago. That's it. <laughs> um, look, I love my time at Pepsi, um, but after it was about six years, I look, I was looking for a change and voluntary redundancies were on offer. I availed the same. Um, after that, I worked with Borgash again with the executive team in Gaslink. It was very interesting, but it was a fixed term role because Gaslink was coming to an end. Um, so it was really, really interesting to learn that kind of side of things and how they were closing a business. It was when um, Borgash um, separated uh, between Borgosh Energy and what is now um, uh, Gas Networks Ireland. So it was very much um, part of that transition, that period. So I learned an awful lot there. It was um, a fixed purpose and it actually worked out great for me because I was going on maternity leave when I was coming to an end. Um, so it just timed perfectly. I was on maternity leave then with my uh, first little boy. And after that, I joined NCBI. So I've pretty much been with the NCBI ever since. Oh, very good. So roughly when was that? How long have you been with NCBI? And I think I know the answer to this bit, but where roughly are you based as well? Yeah, you know, um, you'll never guess where I'm based. <laughs> no, um, I'm obviously based down here in Cork. Um, I joined back, um, I joined NCBI back in March um, in 2015. So it was just after Paddy's Day. Um, I, I originally joined on a part-time basis covering the reception in the um, Southern Regional Office in Cork. So I'm based in Ballincollig and the office at the time was too. So I was looking for something um, part-time Prior to that, I'd always worked full time, but after having my little boy, um, I just wanted something part time and something local just to improve work life yeah. balance. And it just slotted perfectly. I was so delighted um, when I saw the 
the job advertisement that I got it. I was so, uh, so happy. It was um, a great team to join. I loved meeting new people. You met new people daily, people coming into the office yeah. and learning about all the different opportunities provided by NCBI. I just really enjoyed it. So I was in that role for, it was just over a year. And um, NCBI then, um, they were introducing a new um, customer relationship management, a CRM tool. So basically it's the database where we record all our information. Now, as I mentioned previously in the nursing department and the orthodontic unit, I had been involved in setting up new systems. So, yeah. um, and my education background involves um, completing courses in IT, network systems, and I did a HDIP in learning development to work-based training as well. So uh, with that experience, I moved into a role with NCBI supporting the rollout of this new CRM system. It's a Salesforce system. And I've been in that role ever since. Um, so uh, yeah, I was like, that's about five years now. Um, I joined the labs team. Uh, that's why I'm talking with you here today, one yeah. of the labs team. I joined the labs team only May of this year um, on return from my second maternity leave. Um, two maternity leaves, one boy, one girl. I'm done now, no more maternity leaves for me. Um, <laughs> no more big changes. <laughs> <laughs> they always say never say never, but yeah, uh, in my 40s now, I'm done with maternity leaves. Um, so since joining the labs team, my role has taken and um, a wider focus really. I was um, very much focused on the regional services side of the CRM and Salesforce, but now since um, joining the labs team, it's a wider focus and I, I'm engaging with um, staff and colleagues from most departments within the NCBI, which I really find interesting. And I love having the opportunity to meet new people that I wouldn't have met before in my previous role. Very good. It's actually really interesting just hearing about some of that sort of work that's going on because previously we've talked to members of the team about maybe initiatives that might be quite visible to the public, but there's clearly a lot of work that's going on behind the scenes in NCBI when it comes to technology as well. And you're obviously in, involved in quite a lot of that by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, my role would involve supporting the NCBI staff with any of their CRM queries or training requests, but also the CRM is where we generate our reports and our st statistics. And um, I'm very much um, working on that at the moment and working on how we can develop the system to further meet the needs and requirements of all our departments so that we're all working off the same system. So our CRM, our Customer Relationship Management System, it's where we capture all our data and it's really the tool that allows staff record all their activity, which allows us to then monitor delivery of service provision and it kind of um, helps us to monitor and maintain that across all of NCBI really. So it's a huge part of improving the service then. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. That's what you've got your teeth into at the moment. Anything else yeah. particular that you're working on? Well, there is a change to the current edition of the Salesforce CRM that we um, are using at the moment. So it's due for rollout early next year to all members of staff. So this is one of the key focuses that I'm working on at the moment. I need to test the functionality to ensure that it captures all the current data process that we use. Um, I'm also working on updating some support and navigation guides for staff so that they're familiar with the new system. It's basically the same functionality and system. It's just an upgrade to the current tool. So um, I'm working with a focus group of representatives from all different teams within the NCBI on same. So it's all kind of hands up, 
hands on deck really to make sure that it's a smooth transition to the new update. So the update is called Lightning Edition. We're currently in the classic version. So um, with it being called Lightning, let's just hope it doesn't mean there's a storm brewing, Jude. I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it'll all be smooth and uh, we'll be well prepared. So that's one of the key things that I'm working on at the moment. And uh, as I mentioned before, it's kind of uh, given me the opportunity to work with um, representatives from all departments within NCBI, which is which is good, really. Supporting the people that support our service users, really, is kind of my key role in the background. Well, that's that's brilliant, Anya. And there's clearly an, an awful lot that's going on behind the scenes in technology and NCBI. And it's good to know that that kind of infrastructure is always being developed and improved as well so that the service can continue to improve as well. So thanks very much for joining us, Anya. All the best with the rollout of Lightning next year as well. Thanks, Jude, and well done on all the uh, live events to date. I look forward to the big one now on the 15th. Let's hope there's a few bloopers or something for the, the full year. <laughs> the bloopers reel, we run that live every week at half two. This is this is the bloopers reel on you. I should have told you that before. <laughs> Thanks, Jude. Thanks, everybody. And well done to all the team working on the live events. Oh, very good. Very good. So that was on your work and uh, I hope you're enjoying the the uh, regular meet the team piece. It's nice just to be able to introduce members of the team and see all the different aspects of the work that's that's going on there. Now, moving on with today's show, one of the interesting recent technology releases is the update to Google's Chromecast device. And if you use the, the first iteration at all, then there are a few kind of key differences with this one, but it, it kind of got us thinking here at Labs just about the various different steaming, steaming devices. Well, streaming devices might be better ones to talk about at the moment. One, one will do your Brussels sprouts and the other will do your TV, um, Jude. <laughs> I hope you've done your research on steaming devices. <laughs> Top five, no, no, another few weeks yet. <laughs> Top five steaming devices. Yeah, so, <laughs> so let's try that again. It got us thinking about various different streaming devices and how useful they are. And, and crucially as well, how accessible those different streaming devices are. So we have Daniel and JP with us this week to talk a little bit about the Chromecast, as well as two other devices, the Amazon Fire TV stick and Apple TV as well. So first of all, maybe we could just come to Daniel. What are these devices for essentially? Well, um, the streaming devices, um, as you mentioned there, the kind of, there's a few different manufacturers out there. Um, the popular ones being the Amazon Fire Stick, the Google Chromecast and the Apple TV. They're probably the three um, guys that have the lion's share of the market. And they're an ideal fit, um, you know, for your, for your TV and particularly if you don't have a smart TV, they effectively turn a TV into a smart TV. And basically they hook in to a small little device that can be kind of in a stick format or, or a dongle format. And they just simply connect in onto a, a vacant HDMI port on the back of your TV. And you supply it in with um, a plug, just pretty much like a mobile phone charger, just to keep the power going to it. And that comes back from your electricity supply. So that's all you that's all you've kind of need. And obviously Wi-Fi then for internet connectivity. So that, that's what you need and what you can do then with these devices is you can stream video content, uh, play music, um, you can access, you, you know, YouTube, you can 
even do some some of the live TV stuff on it. Your RT player can be streamed. And they also work in conjunction, let's say, if you had a smartphone or a tablet as well. Now, these are not essential for, for the operation of them. Um, but you can, you know, if you're sitting down on the couch and flicking through YouTube or something good comes on Facebook Live, maybe your favorite local band are playing uh, live on Facebook these nights, and you can just hit the little cast uh, button at the top of the video and boom, it comes straight onto your TV. Um, you know, so it's very, very handy. Uh, they, they also can link in um, be controlled from, you know, remember we we're speaking about our smart speakers, um, you know, our Alexas and our uh, Google Home Minis, those guys, you can ask them to switch on the TV, put on YouTube and play a song, stuff like that. So it's really very clever the way it works um, from, from that regard. And the new um, the new iteration of the Google Chromecast actually now comes with a remote control, uh, has its own storage space. Uh, now they advertise eight gig, but you actually get about 4.4 gig to use. Yes. So you can store a couple of apps on there and, um, you know, do, do certain things as well. Uh, I know with the Chromecast one, it, it integrates somewhat with uh, the Google Duo app. And it's kind of, I suppose think of WhatsApp here that you can do video calls and all that through it. So you can, you can, um, you know, you can send up the if you're on a video call, send a picture up onto the big screen TV. Really class. Yeah. Interesting. We'll we'll come back to that in in just a minute. Actually, to just the um, differences with the new Chromecast. Just if if you're talking about one of these devices, basically. Um, from what you're saying there, um, when you plug this into the back of your TV, you turn on your TV, you've you've got an interface there that you can connect with a lot of different apps all at once, but it kind of it will it will just work through your remote control then. Is that is that it? Um, with the new Google one, yes, but uh, if you have just four generations, I suppose to, to make this a little mm. bit clearer, uh, there's four generations of the Chromecast out there, and uh, the fourth generation recently being launched, which came with a remote, whereas the other ones didn't. So okay. uh, I suppose with the f generation one to three, you'd need a smartphone ideally to, um, you know, to cast stuff through it. Now you could cast from the Google Chrome browser on your laptop, uh, yeah. that would work. Um, yeah, but you know, it would be best paired with with another device and, uh, you know, the speaker can ask the because they're all connected to one Wi-Fi system. So you could say to your speaker, hey, Google, turn on Netflix and put on the latest episode of whatever show you're watching and it will do that. Yeah. 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 So this is really kind of integrating with the whole smart home idea that you've got. Yeah. Kind of one exactly. central hub. Excellent. Yeah. So, so it's, I suppose it's like the Nest uh, system yeah. where, you know, you say to it, hey, turn on the light in the living room. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. So it's kind of part of part of that whole setup, I suppose. If you have a, a smart TV already, is that kind of is what we just mentioned there maybe the the main advantage of having a a, a Chromecast or any of these other devices is that it connects up to the smart home, or is there any real difference between that if you've already got a a smart TV? Um, you see, yes and no. Um. The more modern smart TVs are, you know, they're quite good and they're kept up to date. And even some of the smart TVs are coming with their native Android system. You know, there's TVs out there that are called smart as well, but they're they're not. You're not your raw Android system. Yes. Um, and even 
you know, even for most people now, like uh, like the likes of Netflix and all those will be done really well. But I think it's maybe where you get, you know, you're looking for your RTE player or your TG4 player or something to work. It 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 doesn't come across as well on some on some smart TVs. Uh, yeah. I would prefer the Chromecast system to be quite honest. But and look, there's people out there with a smart TV and they just hit, you know, there's even a button on yeah. the TV remote yeah. for Netflix and in the air, and that's fantastic and that works. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's down to manufacturer of the smart TV. How good they have, how smart <laughs> their smart TV, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so how long roughly have these devices been been around? Like in general, this kind of iteration of technology. I, I think these, these have been around for a good, a good number of years, Jude. And uh, I'm looking at the three devices that we have today. Uh, Daniel mentioned there a moment ago the Chromecast, Fire Stick, uh, Apple TV, set top box. So you can go back to 20, I think it's 2013, actually, the first generation Chromecast was released. Uh, as Daniel mentioned, they were up on our, on, our, on our fourth generation with the Chromecast or Google TV, which I know we're going to be talking about a little bit more later. Um, the Fire Stick then came out a year later. Um, so the Amazon Fire Stick was released uh, 2014, and we've seen four versions of this uh, released uh, since it was since it was uh, since it came out. And the latest version is the Fire Stick 4K, which, as the name implies, will support uh, 4K streaming. And then, actually, we have to go back uh, much further than that. The 2007 was the release of the first uh, the Apple TV set-top box. We've actually, we've seen five versions of this. With the latest version being released uh, in 2017. So uh, definitely, I think one thing that's that's really apparent is, is that. Like these, these devices have become much more pop popular in recent years and they're transforming kind of an old TV into a smart TV effectively, provided it has a HDMI port. Yeah. Uh, I think this is particularly so over the last number number of months in, in light of, of COVID and people are watching more, you know, Netflix and street, different streaming services. So, yeah, we've, we've definitely noticed that. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you mentioned just how long Apple TV has been mm. around. That's kind of yeah. that caught me by surprise a little bit. Yeah, it didn't really kind of catch on immediately. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I think I think the popularity of, of Google Chromecast and probably the Fire TV stick is probably um is probably greater even than the Apple TV set top yeah. box. Having said that, there's still a lot of good accessibility features on the uh, Apple TV. Yeah, I, th I think the price point of uh, yeah. the devices really. When Google and, and Amazon come along with their iterations of it, you know, it really floored the market on, on price because, you know, people looked at it and said, oh, gosh, picking up something for 50, 60 quid. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. the, the old Apple stuff was 300 plus. Would it be right, Joe? Yeah. Uh, JB? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Really, really like if someone coming in, absolutely cutting the floor out of the market and yeah. even as good a device, yeah. you know, for, for the general run of things anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. So let's just have a think about these different individual devices then. JP, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the Amazon Fire TV stick. Sure, yeah. So the Fire TV stick, uh, it's a very, very popular streaming device. Um, obviously, as, as, as you guess, it's made by Amazon. I like to stream movies and shows uh, from streaming services like Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix and YouTube. And actually, it does also stream um, streams, um, programs from and films from Apple TV+. Plus. Um, the device, like physically, it's it, it's shaped a bit like a big USB flash drive. It plugs directly into the TV's HDMI uh, port, and it also comes with an Alexa voice remote, which you can use to control your TV stick, either using the buttons on the remote itself, or you can hold down the Alexa voice assistant button, which is at the very top of the remote control, and you can speak your command that way. 
Um, it is like, yeah, I mean, it's, I think this, I think the, the Alexa voice uh, remote is probably one of the best features on the device. Yeah. And we could do things like I say, you can, you can, you can uh, use direct play where you can ask, ask for a particular uh, program to play. And if it's on multiple streaming channels, so say for example, if there's one program on Amazon Prime and Netflix, it'll ask you which uh, streaming service you want to uh, stream from, which is quite good. As well as that though, the Alexa remote can be used a bit like your Amazon Echo Dot or, or Echo, if, if you have a smart speaker. Uh, it can be used to do things like check the weather forecast or the time. So it has that kind of functionality there too. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, there's been several versions of the Fire Stick TV stick that have been released um, since since it came out about six, six years ago, uh, 2014. And the latest version is the, is the Fire, Fire TV stick 4K which supports the 4k streaming yeah yeah so, so tell us something then we'll come on to maybe um just even ease of setup in a moment but just first of all with in relation to accessibility features mm. how is the amazon fire tv stick for accessibility it is very good you know i, I chat to several people who, who use this device uh, as, a, as their primary kind of streaming media player and um, I mean, let me just take a look. So look at some some of the accessibility features that come built in, built into this device. Mm. Um, so there's features for people who are blind or who have low vision. One that uh, people could use is called Voice View. So this is a built-in screen reader on the Fire TV stick, and will literally speak out on-screen text uh, as you navigate menus and, and settings. Um, mm. So yeah, that that's actually worth worth pointing worth pointing out that you can also use Voice View to set up your device too. So uh, Amazon would consider this device to be accessible out of the box, out of the box yeah. so to speak. Um, it can be switched on pressing two buttons on the remote control. I believe it's a back and menu buttons on the Fire TV remote at the same time for about two seconds and voice view will, will come on and you can disable it that way too. Once you do it, you'll, you'll hear the it being announced voice view ready. Um, and actually, I think there's actually a video tutorial as well that you, you can you can uh, do when, when, you, when you buy the device. So that, that's voice view, which is the built in screen reader. But for people who have low vision, there's a screen magnifier available on the TV stick and you could use it to zoom in on the screen and that can be turned on again by uh, pressing a couple of buttons. Um, it's the back. I think it's the back and fast forward buttons for five seconds. Um, hmm. So you can zoom in on the screen. It is it will only work. When you're navigating the menu or in your settings, it might not, it might not necessarily work for uh, viewing video content. It wouldn't. Uh, my understanding is that okay, it's not yeah. compatible. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 So there's voice view for people who um, who want a screen reader, and then there's a screen magnifier too, too for people who want to zoom in on sections of the screen. And then just going back to August this year, Amazon introduced a feature called Text Banner. This can be enabled in settings. And when it is enabled, it displays a rectangular box on the TV screen with the title of the currently focused uh, item and then related text. So it's another useful feature uh, for someone who, who has low vision and wants a bit of help nav navigating their screen. And you can also customize colors as well. Um, so that sounds very, very accessible. Let's just yeah. go over to the Chromecast then and um, maybe we can ask Daniel. We've talked about some of the kind of differences with the the new Chromecast but how is how does the Chromecast stack up for accessibility um I suppose with the first three generations of Chromecast um you know you had nothing on you had you had nothing on the device itself so it was the accessibility of another device that you're using to command the Chromecast to do something 
Um, so I suppose from that point of view, you know, if you're using a, a home home mini speaker to command it to, you know, turn on YouTube and play a song, like it's that's voice dictation. So yeah. that's as good as as you know, I suppose most Irish folks with our unique accents sometimes yeah. go a little bit awry, but overall, uh, you know, it, it does work that way. Um, now, the new version uh, that has come out with remote now, it's, I haven't actually road tested this device myself, but I'm yeah. led to believe the talk back feature, which is which may be familiar to some of our listeners, um, you know, that might have an Android phone or an Android tablet. That the talkback feature is uh, built into the new, the fourth generation Chromecast, but unfortunately, there is no magnification on it, to my knowledge. Now, I come, I can, I do stand to be corrected on that if I'm wrong. Um, uh, but that's, to my knowledge, that's my no, understanding no, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, there's no magnification there, sadly. But um, I suppose with um, you know, with the remote, then you have device command feature on it. You have yes, yeah. assistance buttons, so you have. You have that directly from the remote now. I suppose that's a take on what JP was talking about with Amazon and their uh, speak to Alexa, um, you know, button that's that's on and that's on their remote too. So yeah, that's yeah, interesting. And we were talking about some interesting possibilities with those kind of features earlier as well. Just the sort of things that that maybe we haven't um, tested to make sure that they're fully working with this. But just even the idea of communications apps and things like that, like Google Duo. There's mm -hmm. there's potential in there in in the hardware whether or not it's it's working at present. There's kind of potential for them to be used in that way as well, aren't they? As communications devices. Yeah, I know the Google Duo app. You can shoot the, the you know the incoming video section across to a big screen TV. Yeah. Uh, that is that is doable. So that's even that's something cool, and yeah. especially with. COVID and you know we might get to see all our families this Christmas and you know instead of looking at somebody on a smartphone screen that's you know a four or five inch screen uh, you can just tap the cast button and boom it's up on you know your four five yeah, inch yeah. 50 inch TV on the wall and you can get to see everyone uh, yeah. you know I think that's that's something sweet and you know it's, it's lovely to see that coming on. Um, just one more thing I want to mention about the new Chromecast as well. They have an optional extra plug. Okay, so you get obviously you get your standard power supply with it, but you can buy an add-on one uh, to replace the standard one, and it has yes. a LAN port in it. Now, for somebody who might have, um, you know, they might have built their house and put in the cabling, you know, network cabling. Um, at the point where the t where the TV is, where where we're on to Chromecast, um, you can now actually run that cable into the plug, and you're, you're not relying then on Wi-Fi. Yeah, you're, you're you're bypassing the Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is traditionally twenty to twenty five percent slower than cable. So interesting. Okay, and, yeah. And that's and that's a full reception, but you might be putting it in in a room of a house where you know the reception from the Wi-Fi router is not a fantastic. So yeah, you, you do have the facility to run the a LAN cable straight to the plug Very the podcast, which is a, a really good idea actually that kind of ties in with a subject we're going to be talking about in one of our upcoming live events how to make the most out of our internet connection as well so that's kind of a a, a nice oh, little tip with, with yes. that as well um 
Just mind feel that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll leave the full discussion for another day, I think. Um, just briefly before we finish up on this, just um, run run out of time a little bit on this part. But just can we get a bit of a, an overview of how Apple TV is with with these things? Because generally, accessibility is is one of Apple's big mm -hmm. sellers, isn't it? Yeah, they have they have the voiceover system that uh, iPad and iPhone users will be familiar with already. To have that um, on their Apple TV platform uh, or device, should I say, because they also do an Apple TV Plus, which is their own version of like Netflix or, or Amazon Prime. They have their own TV programming. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's fully full voiceover is included uh, on on the Apple TV device. Uh, works just like just like the device over on the phone. It's very very slick. Uh, very you know it's 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 what you come to expect of Apple, and I suppose that's why it does attract maybe a little bit more of a premium price. But you are getting the fluidness uh, of voice over included yeah. there on on the TV. And I suppose then just to talk a little bit about the um, Apple TV Plus service, um, that gives you access to unique Apple content that, you know, they've produced a fierce lot of their own uh, TV series, documentaries and films. I think it's five euro a month to subscribe. Uh, now, they're not awash with a huge amount of content, but they are slowly but surely building that up. And in addition, all of the programming on the Apple Plus TV service is uh, has audio description included. Brilliant. Which you might come across some programs on, like say Netflix or um, Amazon Prime, which may not have all you know, which all the programs may not have audio description, but uh, they do have that on the Apple TV Plus. So that is another kind of little feather in the Apple cap. Yeah, yeah, and that that's quite useful just to have the confidence of it sometimes, because even if it's happening on other devices, um, not knowing whether it's on a particular program in mm. advance, not knowing that that every program has it is uh, is maybe a little bit of a, a drawback sometimes. It's nice yeah. to have that confidence. Mm -hmm. So just finally on, on this part, um, what would make someone go for maybe one device over another one? What would help somebody if they're trying to choose which device they go for here? Mm, good question. Good question. Um, familiarity of existing platforms. Now, mm. most people have an Android phone or they have an Apple phone or they might even have Alexa in the house and mightn't have, um, you know, they mightn't be too bothered about what phone they're using. So I think it's familiarity of an existence, uh, you know, of, of of the big three platforms, whichever you use, yeah. um, that will kind of nudge you in the direction of choosing one of these devices. Price will come into it as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as mentioned, Apple kind of a, a bit of a premium price, whereas uh, Amazon and Google kind of go head to head on price. Yeah. Um, and and I wouldn't worry about the content so much because your Amazon Prime will work you know let's say you have an amazon prime or you you know a subscription that will work on the google chromecast that will work on an apple tv service so you're not okay. you're not saying to yourself oh well i like this program and i know it's only on amazon prime yes, yes. i get a google device i'm not going to be watching no that's not true if uh, you can bring your you can bring your tv service with you across uh these devices 
So that's, um, and likewise, I think you can bring the Apple at least to Amazon and I think to Google as well. Very so good. Paying the five euro to Apple, if yeah, you bring yeah. that across. That's useful to know. Yeah. yeah. Good. I think well, that, uh, JP, Google TV launching their own service too. That's yeah. That, that, that's uh, that's down the line, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I think you, you summed it up well there. I think kind of that that be for someone if so for someone who is familiar with a particular platform, if someone is a voiceover user. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps perhaps they'll, they'll find the Apple TV uh, box will work really well for them and um, they'll have the the trackpad there and um, so they can um, so they, they can use that uh, to, to use voiceover so I mean um, that that's something to, to consider uh, obviously it's a little bit more expensive but if it works well I mean it's, it's worth going for uh, worth pointing out as well that the um, sometimes the, the fire TV stick um, actually only having a look at over the last few days and the Google Chromecast with Google TV it's interesting. The Fire TV stick uh, has they often Amazon will often sell it with one of their smart speakers, you know, at a discounted uh, price. So you know you get the two of them together. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. I was actually on the Google website yesterday. I was looking at to buy the uh, Chromecast with Google TV, and it was it was out of stock. Um, now as of this morning, it's back in stock. So there's obviously high demand for that one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so obviously availability will dictate a little bit. What people can do as well, but that's really useful just to hear some of the comparisons of how the different devices work and how they get on with it. Accessibility that's uh, very helpful. Thanks very much, JP and Daniel, for for taking us through that information no as well. And of course, if anybody has any questions, just get in touch with the labs team as usual on uh, labs at ncbi.ie as well. A reminder as well that uh, our live events are posted to YouTube and to all the other all the major. Uh, podcast platforms as well. So if you want to listen back to that se segment on streaming devices or on or to uh, any of our other content that we've covered in our live events, that's where you can get those. Now, before we move on to our seeing it your way piece, let's talk briefly about this week's quick tips. So what have you got for us this week, JP? Yeah, that's right. So Jude, uh, one of the notable features that came uh, with uh, the release of iOS 14 and iPadOS 14 this year was the ability for someone to use an someone using an iPhone or an iPad uh, to change the default email uh, or browser app uh, on their device, um, so they could change the default email and browser app on their iPhone or iPad. And what this means is that whenever we open up a link or an email address, it won't open in the default Safari or Mail app like it would have in the past, but instead it will bring us to our preferred email client, which could be, for example, Gmail or Outlook or our preferred web browser, which could be, for example, Chrome or, or Firefox, if we have that installed. Yeah. So it might be useful if, for example, if we had a preference to open up a browser uh, in, in, in Chrome, or if, for example, we wanted to send all our emails in, in Outlook. Um, so I think we're actually going to take a look at a video which I prepared in just a moment. Perfect. Yeah, so let's have a look at that, that video then. Okay. Check out how we can change the default web browser and email app on an iPhone or iPad in iOS 14 and iPadOS 14 using VoiceOver. So this is the new feature that became available in iOS 14 and iPadOS 14, and it means that whenever we open up a link or an email address, it won't open in the default Safari or Mail app, but instead it will bring us to our preferred email client, such as Gmail or Outlook, or our preferred web browser, such as Chrome or Firefox. So the first thing I'm going to do is run through how we can change the default web browser on an iPhone running iOS 14. And for this example, I'm going to change my default web browser to Chrome. So the first thing I need to do is open up settings on my iPhone. Settings. 
and from here I swipe right until I find Chrome. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, mobile mm -hmm. date, personal hotspots, button to scroll down the screen. Rows 10 to rows 24, rows 40 to 59 of 86. Chrome button. Okay, so now that I've found Chrome, I need to double tap the screen with one finger. Allow Chrome to access heading. And from here, I need to swipe right until I hear default browser app. Location, local, micro, camera, face, Syrian, mobile data, default browser app, Safari button. So currently it's set at Safari. I double tap the screen at one finger. Chrome. And I can toggle between Chrome, Chrome Firefox. Firefox, selected, or Safari, Safari, which is selected. I'm going to choose Chrome. I'm going to swipe left. Firefox, Chrome. Twice to Chrome. Double tap the screen. One finger. Selected, Chrome. And now Chrome is set as my default web browser. Now I can check this by opening up an email, which I sent to myself a little bit earlier. I'm going to go back to the home screen. App switcher. Chrome, Chrome settings. And I'm going to open up the mail app. Doc, mail, no unreal demo link. Swipe up or down to select a custom action, then double tap to activate. And here there is a link to the NCBI website. Now, previously, had I double tap the screen at one finger on this link, it would have opened up a page in Safari, but now it should open up in Chrome. HTTPS slash Searching with Google Chrome, address and search bar, B, IE secure, button. And I can see that it has opened up in Chrome. So now I'm going to go back to the home screen. And the next thing we're going to do is go through how we can change the default email app on the iPhone. App switcher, closing mail, active. So the first thing I need to do here is to go back into settings and swipe right until I find the email app I'm looking for. In this case, I'm going to look for Outlook. Settings. Rows 10 to 20, rows 20, rows 10 to 28 of 80, rows 10 to 20, rows 24 to 40, rows 40 to 50, rows 55 to 75, Fitbit, mail, button. So now I'm going to swipe right on the screen until I hear Outlook. Google, 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 Lazarus, Navi, Net, News Talk, OneDrive, Outlook, button. I'm going to double tap the screen at one finger. Allow Outlook to access heading. And now I'm going to swipe across to default mail app. Photos, Syrians, notification, background app, mobile, default mail app, mail button. So currently my default app is mail app, but I want the changes to Outlook. I'm going to double tap the screen at one finger. Selected mail. And I'm going to swipe right to Outlook. Outlook. Now I could also choose Gmail if I wished, if I swiped right. Mail. But I'm going to choose Outlook now. Outlook. So I double tap the screen at one finger to choose Outlook. Selected, Outlook. And now Outlook is set as my default email client. I'm going to check that this is working now. App switcher, settings. So I'm going to go back to the home screen. I'm going to open up the mail app. Doc, demo link. And I'm going to send a new email to an email address that's listed here in this message, which is labs at ncbi.ie. So I'm going to swipe right until I hear that. HT demo email 
labs at b i link so now i'm going to send a new email to labs at ncbi.ie new mail message button double tap the screen start subject text field is editing word mode insertion point at start use the rotor to access misspelled words and i can see here that i'm about to send an email to labs at ncbi.ie in my outlook client so let's go back to the home screen app switcher closing out doc so that's how we can change our default browser and email client on our iPhone and iOS 14 or on our iPad and iPad OS 14. And thanks very much for watching. Very good. So thanks very much to JP for this week's quick tip. That's a really useful one for changing uh, the default browser, or the default email client on your iOS device. Very good. And uh, obviously we'll hear about, uh, we'll hear more quick tips from the team on our next show. So if you have any specific platform that you'd like to hear some quick tips for, get in touch and uh, we'll try and make the quick tips as relevant to you as possible. Now it's time for this week's Seeing It Your Way piece. And this week we had an opportunity to talk to Ronan McGurk about his extensive experience with accessible technology and how he used his experience to get involved in some of the development going on around voice synthesis in the Irish language. Let's see this week's Seeing It Your Way. So this week on Seeing It Your Way, I'm delighted to have Ronan McGurk with us. Uh, you're very welcome, Ronan. Thank you very much, Jude. So Ronan, tell us a little bit about your background. OK, well, at the moment I'm working in the civil service, but if I go back um, to years ago, um, I initially had sight problems when I was a teenager and I got registered blind when I was 22 and it uh, my sight got particularly bad when I was in my last year at, at college and I did I did a science degree in UCD uh, so I just scraped through the degree so that that's how when I initially uh, got registered blind okay and what was what was the condition that you um, is, um, or, 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 or P which okay pigment also and it, the nature of it is it's gradual deterioration. And um, when I, probably in my last year, I was really struggling to read, which is obviously not good in the, doing a degree. And um, so just after finishing up with the degree, really, I realized that I was in trouble with the sight. And I made contact with the National Council for the Blind, as it was at the time. And um, interesting how, how times have changed. But at the time, um, the person I met there indicated that for people with a science background, there were two kind of career choices you might think of then. And one was physiotherapy, one was physiotherapy and the other was computer programming. Now at the time, there were no computer programmers in Ireland who were blind. So they were showing that this would be a challenge, but it might be a possibility. And um, I did a bit of exploring and I found out that in order to get onto a course with the RNIB over in London, I would need to be able to read Braille at 50 words a minute. I'd need to be able to type at 25 words a minute. I'd need to be proficient with a long cane, and all of which, of course, I wasn't at the time. So um, I went into, um, you know, a, a, a serious effort to learn typing and Braille and long cane. And um, cut a long story short, 
um, it was maybe two years later I finally did the course in London and after that I, and after that I got a job in AIB as a computer programmer. And how did you feel about the overall change? Because you, you, your life must have been kind of heading one particular direction that you had planned out a little bit to some degree and then you're changing direction into a, another career path. How, how did that kind of affect you? How yeah, did you cope well, with that? Well, I, I had trouble with my sight when I was a teenager, like in school even, it, was, it wasn't exactly right. And say, when I left school around that age, I realised I wouldn't be able to drive a car, for example, but I thought I could manage with other things. So I was used to the idea of the sight problem and it was getting slowly getting worse. And that probably was the worst time, I would say. By the time I made my way to the NCBI, it was almost a relief, you know, say, OK, oh, yes. I'm, not the only, I'm not the only person with this problem and people know how to approach it and so on. So it, it was, I would say, things took a turn for the better um, once I officially got registered, I would say, you know. Yeah, yeah, OK. So when you went on, on uh, this course with the RNIB and you, you mentioned there afterwards that you started working with AIB, what, was that quite in-depth work that you were doing? Uh, yeah, I started off the, the course in the RNIB did at the time. It was a three month course in an introduction to computer programming and it was pitched at recent graduates. So in a way, I was the ideal kind of candidate for it. Um, so when I started in AIB, then I started off as a bank official and uh, started uh, in programming. But I was part of the IT department and a programmer. Um, like everybody else now at the time you know you have to think back this was 1980 and the um there was no synthetic speech at the time there was no internet there was no email you know it was a very different world i had to use um, a device called an opticon which is an optical tactile converter i don't know if it's still around or not but it was a kind of a camera thing that you ran over the page and you felt the uh, the shape of the letters with your finger it was very slow. It did work, but it was very slow. Like the most you could do was maybe 20 words a minute reading it, you know. So that was a quite an adaptation in how you did that. And, and um, how were your co-workers at the time? Were they, well, were I mean, they kind of very accepting of it, understood it? Uh, I would say they were very good. Yes, very, uh, a very good professional environment, a lot of cooperation and so on. I suppose initially they must have been a bit sceptical as to is it possible to do this when you're blind, but they knew that there were blind programmers in Britain at the time. There weren't any in Ireland, so they uh, were aware that it was something that is possible. And um, so, yeah, I suppose it took a while to get used to it. And then a few years later, I think it was 1983, I got my first uh, exposure to synthetic speech which was yes. an IBM terminal with synthetic speech built into it. This was before PCs now, but yeah. uh, that made a huge difference. It was an awful lot quicker, there's no, no doubt about it. So tell us a bit more about the kind of progression of technology that you would have used. Well, I started off, as I said, before the days of synthetic speech. And so I would have used uh, a terminal, no PCs at the time, and a terminal, um, I'd run a camera across the screen and feel the letters um, on the opticon. That was the first thing. Then uh, moving to the terminal with built-in synthetic speech. And then it was late 80s, I think around 1986 or 87, that PCs started to come in and I started to use a DOS-based PC with um, HAL was the screen reader yes. at the time from yes. Dolphin Systems. And that worked um, pretty well, actually. Um, then we moved then to the late 
80s into the 90s and Microsoft Windows came along, the first version of Microsoft Windows, that was a bit of a problem initially because the DOS systems were beginning to get quite good and then Windows came along and initially the screen readers for Windows were pretty ropey and then we, we moved to the various versions of Windows. When we moved to Windows NT and I started using JAWS, that was a big improvement. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I remember at the time as well, Microsoft moved the uh, Microsoft Office from I think it was version 6 to Office 97 and there was an enormous improvement in accessibility at that time. Uh, mm. And I, I began to think actually, you know, things are going to get really much better. But then what I found uh, since with, uh, with Microsoft releases is somewhere yeah. two steps forward, one step back, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. so uh, like um, if I list the, uh, I thought Windows NT was very good. We moved to Windows XP after that. I didn't think that was an improvement. Um, mm. Windows Vista I thought was worse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Windows 7 I thought was good. Uh, Windows 8, I didn't really like. Uh, Windows 10, I think, is pretty good. You know, so it, it's yeah. forwards and backwards. And same yeah. with same with Microsoft Office. Um, I liked Office 97. I liked Office 2003. When they changed to the ribbon, um, I think that was Office 2007. I mm. really didn't like that ribbon, and I still don't like it. I have to say, um, but I got used to it now. You know. Yes. Yeah. I think that kind of uh, caught a lot of people and made it that bit more difficult. When when you have mm. just the pure menu system, there's a kind of logic in your mind that you can work out a lot, a lot easier yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I, I find that more natural to use, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, yeah. I've been using, I was using JAWS um, all along. I was working in AIB in various um, roles and various uh, projects and so on. And mm. in 20, 10, 2011 or thereabouts, um, I was in uh, enterprise architecture and I had to use an IT architecture website and I found it wasn't accessible with JAWS and Internet Explorer and I got on to the uh, providers of the website and they insisted that it was fully accessible and it was a German company and they were very insistent that it was following all of the WCAG guidelines. So I, I had heard of NVDA at the time and I'd done a little bit of experimenting of it at home. I think this was 2010, I think. Anyway, I, I downloaded a version of NVDA with Firefox at the time. And to my surprise, that worked better than JAWS and Internet Explorer on that particular site. So that was my yeah. first first notion that, gosh, you know, maybe NVDA is going to be better than JAWS. That it wasn't, at that time, NVDA was much worse than JAWS on Microsoft Office, and it couldn't do Lotus Notes at all, but it was better right. uh, for me on the websites. So I used the two. I used JAWS and NVDA um, for, I'd say, two years in AIB, from maybe 2010 to 2012. Um, yeah. I left AIB in 2012 and since then I've used NVDA exclusively. I, when I initially left AIB, I went to Trinity and I was doing two things. I had a, a research assistant job, was looking into developing, improving synthetic speech in Irish and I was doing an MPhil in speech and language processing, which, you know, a master's and I used NVDA for all of that. And that involved um, IT work and programming and accessing databases and obviously Microsoft Office and an awful lot of website stuff. 
and it worked. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come across anything that I said, oh God, if I had Jaws, I could use that. And I, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. So uh, that was the first exposure to that. So really, I didn't need Jaws anymore. And then when I started, and when I moved to the civil service in 2015. Um, they were asking me when I joined what kind of soft software did I need and I just said NVDA it's free open source no charge and uh, besides it does Irish and, yeah. and uh, so that's I, I that's when um, when I moved there yeah so I was so actually going to say there you you were saying about um, the the work in the Irish language synthetic speech um, yeah. how did that go what was the kind of progression of that if you like well Originally, um, I'd always one been interested in Irish, but there hadn't been synthetic speech, which is right problem. And um, when I started using NVDA in AIB in 2010, I looked at the languages that were available and I, I, I thought to my surprise, it was available in, in Latin. And uh, I put, put up a bit of Latin text and it read it using eSpeak. eSpeak is a ro robotic sounding synthesizer, but the Latin was, to my ear, it was correct Italianate yeah. pronunciation. And I, it struck me, you know, obviously it's possible to do multiple languages in this. And I knew in Trinity there had been a lot of work going on in an Irish language synthesizer and I've been working for several years on it. And I said to myself, you know, I bet somebody didn't spend, I bet there wasn't 10 people working for 10 years implementing Latin on that. I get, I, I bet that was some guy doing it in his attic, you know, over a two months project. So at that stage, I, I had a look at eSpeak and I realized then that actually it might be possible myself to develop Irish on eSpeak. So I reached out to the developer. It was a free open source project and he assisted me on understanding how eSpeak worked. And I developed um, the Irish language in eSpeak myself. So um, by, I think it went live in 2013. Um, yeah. into, into eSpeak, uh, that, that's the, the system that I had used. I was in constant contact with the um, with the guys at Trinity at the time because the, the Aber project there in the phonetics and speech laboratory, they were working on it. And that's why I started uh, with them, them in Trinity because I, I said, I figure I know how to make this work with a screen reader and we can take it from the stage it's at, which was a very good you know, speech from it, but it wasn't integrated with screen reading. And that was the yeah. project I worked on uh, as a research assistant. Interesting, yeah, very good. So it involved testing it with uh, Gale Skull in it because they would be the main yeah. users of it, obviously. And so my, my role was testing it and um, getting it to the stage that it worked with NVDA and then doing a rollout to the Gale Skull and then providing uh, technical support when they had uh, difficulties with it. I also, at the same time, I was working with INBAF, the Irish National Braille and Alternate Formats Authority, of which NCBI is a, is a member, and they were working on the uh, UEB, the, the rollout of um, yeah, yeah. the Unified English Braille. But at the same time, they decided to look at the Irish Braille code, because one of the questions was, do we change the punctuation in Irish Braille to be the same as UEB. And that was the, the intention, but it was, they were also going to see were there any other revisions being needed to the Irish Braille code. So I was asked to join with the committee that was looking at that. And I realized that it would be very important to implement it technically, not just to um, 
agree the code and publish it, but to implement it technically so that it would work on a computer. So I worked on the uh, the free open source project Liblui, which is the one that uh, NCPI uses uh, to display Braille in Irish. So I was able to implement the Irish Braille code, both the, the um, contracted and uncontracted uh, into Liblui. So that automatically got picked up by NVDA. So when you install NVDA now, and in fact, it, it's it's made its way out to various other devices like phones and so on now with, with voiceover. So um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the great advantage of free open source software that when you develop it once, it can get copied and used everywhere. So it's a great way of making accessibility for minority interests, you know. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So you've been very kind of hands-on in the development of some of these these things and that's kind of that's given you a fairly unique perspective I'd say just from 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 your perspective of having quite a technical background being involved in a lot of those things obviously the screen reader was very important to you what other pieces of technology would you say have kind of made the biggest impact over the years oh well there's a the long cane mm. I would say from uh, just from a mobility point of view um the um I think um being able to be comfort to walk around confidently um, makes a huge makes a yeah, huge difference. Yeah. That to me is big, um, a big te technological thing. Also, of course, I use the iPhone, uh, yeah. the smartphone, smartphone, which is tremendous. I mean, the thing that impressed me most about the iPhone was when it came out day one, it was accessible. It's yeah. usually such a thing with new technology. Out, it takes years of lobbying to make it accessible. You know, so yeah. I think I think the. Um, you know, the, the smartphone is a really fantastic and there's so many apps nowadays, particularly yeah. that I suppose the kind of apps I use most would have been the traveling ones, you know, like say the Dublin bus or the Irish real time rail or yeah. some of the GPS apps, you know, those those, those kind of ones, as well, of course, as, uh, you know, library, reading books and, you know, radio and, you know, there's, there's so much available so now. On first time, yeah, yeah. And I think just the point you made there as well about being um, accessible right from the off. I think that's probably one of the reasons we we kind of joke around sometimes with the, the Apple and Android sort of situation, but being accessible from the off won a lot of fans who probably stuck with Apple for many years, largely because of that priority on access. Yeah, yeah, like I, that's why I have uh, stuck with it. I mean, I looked at Android from every every now and then, and it, it, it seems to be improving all the time. My last impression last time I looked at it was it's still not quite as good as the iPhone, although I could be wrong because things keep changing the whole time. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, but, yeah, it's an area to keep an eye on, you know. You're, you're letting your, your preference be known, but you're doing it very diplomatically. <laughs> There's one big fault with the iPhone, and that's yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't speak Irish. Yeah. And yeah. The, the Sounds other, like you might, have, <laughs> you might have a plan to do something about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the things on the list, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of the bucket list, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. So tell me something. If you were to give a little bit of advice, then obviously, like we, we've interviewed people with various different ranges of experience in the background as, as to technology. And we found that obviously technology has made a big difference whether somebody has had a background or not. But from your perspective of all, like having a lifetime around technology, um, having a good kind of in-depth understanding of it, if you were to be talking to somebody now who um, maybe their life has changed a little bit, maybe they're 
just getting used to site loss, trying to adapt to it. Is there any kind of advice, any tips that you would give them? Oh dear, now there's a question. <laughs> well, well, actually, now there's one thing I would say. I think two heads are always better than one. And one huge benefit to me in the 1980s was when I got together with a group of other uh, blind people who were starting to work with computers, and we established an organisation called VIX. And it, it was the idea that you could meet up and chat about a technical uh, problem. I always found. Um, Somebody else would have the answer if I didn't have it. And I found also that even if the other person didn't know the answer, just by me describing the problem would get it clearer in my own head. And I might suddenly get inspired as to a way around it just by chatting about it. So I would definitely say you, you've got to find other people who have a positive attitude and are getting out there, sorting out things and, and engage with them. That that'd be, I suppose, the thing I learned most. Yeah, it's it's I, I got I got terrific um, support and also um, inspiration from other other people. And the other thing is um, I, I found when I started meeting up with blind people first, you, you get range of approaches, range of attitudes. Some people would say things like, oh, the likes of you will never get a job, you know, or we'll, we'll never get a job. Yeah, you know? yeah. and, and, and then other people you'd find who were working away on something and were confident that they were going to get somewhere. I was always drawn to the more uh, confident or more positive uh, outlook type people. So I, I'd say look for people who are positive and always try and chat about uh, your technical challenges because somebody else will have an idea it, somebody else will have come across it before very good well that's that's brilliant advice anyway because that kind of makes any previous experience or lack of experience far less important than just being able to integrate with it with other people as well who can help yeah it, it certainly would and people sometimes say to me look you've worked in it all your life you're a complete expert well that isn't really true because even if you take one program and i'll just give an example of microsoft oh. excel microsoft excel i know some parts of that extremely well and would consider myself you know very well up on it but i know yeah. there's other parts of that even just that one program that, that I don't know that well, and I know other people will know better. So like there's there's always, you can always learn in a group yes. situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us on, on the show this week. Appreciate thank that. You. Thanks very much, Jude. Very good. So our thanks again to Ronan McGurk for joining us on this week's Seeing It Your Way piece. Interesting as well, just this comment at the end, just even though he has got a lot of expertise with IT and um, he would be seen as a, an expert if you like. That that benefit of being able to uh, benefit from, from the group experience, the group learning experience is uh, always useful as well to exchange information that way. So just nice to get that uh, perspective from Ronan McGurk this week. Uh, of course, if, uh, if you have any comments or questions or if if you'd like us to, to focus in a particular area in some of our interviews that we're doing, you can always send us feedback to labs at ncbi.ie. Or if you, if you have any uh, questions, any technical problems that you want us to cover on the show, we'll uh, include those as well. Of course, that's not the only way that you get support from us. If you have any um, particular devices yourselves that, uh, that you, you want us to maybe give you a bit of support with. The number is 1850 92 30 60 if you want to contact us.
by phone. So that's 1850 92 30 60. And you can call us from nine to five Monday to Friday, as well as uh, the email address that you have there. You, you have phone contact as well. Or if you want uh, the wider NCBI services, that's 1850 33 43 53. So 1850 33 43 53. Or you can email info at NCBI. And of course, if you'd like to make a donation to support our services, you can also visit donate.ncbi.ie or you can even uh, sponsor one of our live events if you like as well by contacting our usual email address at labs at ncbi.ie. That can really help to, to keep our live events going. Now, just to let you know that over the coming week or two, we're going to be um, sending out some surveys to uh, some of those who particularly have have listened to our live events in the past yourselves as you're listening to the live event this week as well. You'll probably have access to that that survey maybe through our newsletter this week um, and we're going to be trying to get a little bit more input just as to uh, what you'd like to see more of in our live events. So if you do get a, a chance, if you get that survey through, please do uh, let us know what you think and send us back that that survey. Now, just before we go, just a reminder of what we'll be talking about in some of our future live events. As we said, our next show is going to be December 15th. So that's two weeks time, two weeks time at 2.30. That's our next show and actually our last show of the year. And for that show, we're going to have a little bit, we mentioned last week, it's a little bit of a free for all. We'll have an expanded panel to talk about some of the favourite pieces of technology. Um, that we've discussed throughout the year. And if you'd like your voice to be heard as well, but, well then just let us know what your favourite pieces of technology are. Maybe the, the uses that you've made of particular accessible technology and uh, we'll be sure to include those on the show as well. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks time. Early next year, we're going to be talking about how to get the most out of your internet connection. We alluded to that earlier as well. Well, it's a, a little bit of a minefield, but it's also one that's good to have a bit of a knowledge of some of the basics as well as one or two tips that maybe you haven't uh, heard of before or thought of before. So I'm looking forward to that one myself as well, how to get the best out of uh, our internet connections. Uh, so that'll be our, our first show of the new year as well. And if you want to stay up to date with what's happening on our live events, as well as plenty more, you can sign up to our newsletter. You'll uh, likely get that survey that we mentioned through in your newsletter this week. If you want to sign up to that, that's uh, possible through the, the website. So you can go to www.ncbi.ie or you can just drop us an email at labs at ncbi.ie and we'll make sure you're added to the uh, mailing list for the, the uh, newsletter as well. So that's the end of our show for, for this week. Hope you've enjoyed the content and uh, our panel discussions as well. We want to thank our guests that we've had on today, the, the, the usual panel as well, but also on your work earlier and uh, also um, for our Seeing It Your Way piece this week as well. We're, uh, we're glad to have Ronan McGurk with us for that as well. So want to thank all of all of our guests, want to thank you for listening this week and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks time for our next NCBI Labs live event. <laughs>